0: In this chapter, we have the glory returning to Israel and destroying the sacrilegious. Here now the reading of God's holy word, First Samuel 6, starting at verse 1. And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months, and the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord?' Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. And they said, If ye send away the ark of the God of Israel, send it not empty, but in any wise return him a trespass offering, then ye shall be healed. And it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then said they, What shall be the trespass offering which we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden emeralds and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For one plague was on you all and on your lords. Wherefore, ye shall make images of your emeralds and images of your mice that mar the land, and ye shall give glory unto the God of Israel, Peradventure he will lighten his hand from off you and from off your gods and from off your land. Wherefore then do ye harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he had wrought wonderfully among them, did they not let the people go and they departed? Now therefore make a new cart and take two milch kine on which there hath come no yoke and tie the kine to the cart, and bring their calves home from them, and take the ark of the Lord, and lay it upon the cart, and put the jewels of gold which ye return him for a trespass offering in a coffer by the side thereof, and send it away that it may go. And see if it goeth up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh, Then he hath done us this great evil, but if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that smote us, it was a chance that happened to us. And the men did so, and took two milch kine, and tied them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they laid the ark of the Lord upon the cart, and the coffer with the mice of gold, and the images of their emeralds. And the kine took the straightway to the way of Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went and turning not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Beth Shemesh. And they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. And the cart came into the field of Joshua, a Beth Shemite, and stood there where there was a great stone. And they claved the wood of the cart and offered the kine a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the coffer that was with it, wherein the jewels of gold were, and put them on the great stone and the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices the same day unto the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. And these are the golden emeralds, which the Philistines returned for a trespass offering unto the Lord, for Ashdod, one, for Gaza, one, for Ascalon one, for Gath, one, for Ekron, one. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both of fenced cities and of country villages, even unto the great stone of Abel, whereon they set down the ark of the Lord, which stone remaineth unto this day in the field of Joshua the Beth Shemite. And he smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people 50,000 and threescore and 10 men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of kiriath Jearim, saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down and fetch it up to you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 6. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it. First, verses 1 through 12, we have the superstitious return of the ark From the Philistines, remember all the troubles that the Philistines had, and yet the ark stuck with them for seven months, we're told in verse 1. They did not learn their lesson very quickly, did they? The Philistines now, having consulted their politicians and found their devices wanting, what do they do next? Let's go to our priests. Let's go to our diviners. Dagon and Beelzebub had failed them. The politicians failed. Now their priests and their false prophets. They instruct them to, in any wise, return the Lord a trespass offering, or literally, returning, you shall return a trespass offering, in any wise, as our Bible translates it. They seem to recognize that they should atone for their sins. That's what a trespass offering is but do they have the correct trespass offering which they ought to offer to God? I'm trying to think back in the law of Moses for the images of emeralds that you're supposed to offer to the Lord. What about the mice? Are you supposed to even offer a live mouse, let alone the image of a mouse? Is this somehow pleasing to God? These are blind men groping in the dark who know they need atonement But they don't know how. This is how heathen religion exists. Men in blindness who know that they need to be atoned for, but they don't really know what to do about it. So rather than consult the will of God through his holy oracle, the scriptures, they go to their priests, they go to their diviners, they go to their earthly wisdom. And there is, to be sure, earthly wisdom in what they say, and we'll consider that five golden emeralds and five golden mice according to the lords or the number of the lords of the Philistines. Verse 4, God appointed trespass offerings and they did not inquire of him how they might do so. They just look, okay, well, what disease are we suffering from? Let's make a little golden emerald. Well, and What sort of animals trouble us under the hand of God? Well, it's little mice, so let's make golden images. When ungodly men are corrected, they often do more ungodliness. We'll see this in the book of Revelation. When God sends out his plagues upon the earth, men blaspheme his name and do not give him glory. Now, they should say, God is judging me, I should repent of my sins, because that's what brings the judgment. I don't like the misery, so let me repent of the sin that brings the misery. No. We naturally tend to harden our hearts, and when God chastises the nations, they say, let's be more ungodly. Let's make up our own trespass offering, which is ungodly. Let us learn when corrected by God To repent and to reform our ways according to his revealed will, especially in his worship, not according to good intention or just seeking relief from the troubles we find against us, but rather by a thorough reformation to repent of all of our wicked ways and to come to him ready to listen. One plague, they say, was on you all and on your lords. This is very significant. They believe in a vicarious atonement. Now a vicar, for those of us who know about the, uh, the English and their bishoprics and they have vicars, then the pope is supposed to be the vicar of Christ upon the earth and the priests are supposed to be the vicars for the pope who is the vicar of Christ. Vicarious means you stand in the place of another. It's a Latin word. In Greek, there's a different word, it's called anti. So the vicar of Christ is the antichrist means the same thing. But here notice they think there ought to be a vicarious atonement. Something should interpose and take our place because we're suffering the wrath of God. What can we give that will take our place? Golden mice? and golden emeralds that's what takes their place apparently that's what atones in their mind for this plague that God sent against them and they say in their impiety in their wickedness and idolatry that this is going to glorify God that's what they say verse 5 ye shall give glory unto the God of Israel do you know how we glorify God? One, we listen to what he says, right? He's spoken. We listen and we believe what he says. We tremble at his threats. We obey his commandment. That's how we glorify God. did, Did that? What they did glorify God? No. There's no faith to believe in a promise that God says, I will forgive your sins should you come to me in this manner. There's no obedience which says, you shall offer this offering for this sin. No, there's nothing like that. It's all their own good intentions to glorify God. But notice, God judged them with blindness because he gave success to their idolatry. This is very important. Sometimes wicked people will prosper. And the question is, well, doesn't God approve of what they're doing? Sometimes it's because God hates them that he gives them success in this life. He turns them over to their own ways and says, okay, I'm going to let your golden emeralds work because you're going to take away the ark and you'll think, hey, our trespass offering worked to blind their minds because they did not receive the love of the truth. So God gives them delusions. And this is a mark of God's black bill. The black chain of reprobation is when men have worldly success in their evil ways. Mark it down. God hates people that he causes to prosper when they're wicked. If God loves you and you are wicked, you know what he does to you? Chastens you. He spanks you. He brings out the rod. And he says, I love that boy. I love that girl. I'm not letting that one go off and do their own thing. Everyone he loves, he chastens. What about those who go on in their mouse religion, in their golden hemorrhoids religion? What does he do to them? Okay, you can have it your way. I don't care about you. I'm not going to chasten you for this. I might crush you for your impiety, but now I'm going to say, okay, I'll give them success in their will worship. Let us then measure success, not by our ease, our comfort, our worldly prosperity, but how? by obedience to god's revealed will that's what paul says what is required of a steward that he be found faithful to whom the master of the house how do we know what the master says here it is this is his will this is his testament these are his words his statutes his commandments that's what's required listen to his word obey his word wherefore then the priests and diviners ask the philistines Wherefore then do ye harden your hearts, as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? Now, this is about 400 years later. Saul is about 1050 BC, which we're coming up on Saul in the next couple chapters. And this is at about 1450 BC that the exodus happened. So this is almost 400 years later, and the, the sound still rings in the ears of the ancient Near East of what God did In Egypt and these are heathens. Let us remember the mighty works of God, his powerful judgments, his promises and precepts. These people 400 years later still remember the judgment of God. But notice again them groping in the dark in verse 7. They want to make a new cart. Now David will imitate this Practice and occasion the death of Uzzah. We can read about that in 2 Samuel 6, verses 1 through 8. He will make a new cart and he will take the ark on the cart, and the stumbling will take place, and the ark will start to fall, and Uzzah will put his hand onto the ark to steady it and will die. God will strike him with death because they're imitating. And later, when David brings this ark of God back to the temple, you know what he does? levites levites will bear the ark according to the law of god revealed by moses not a philistine cart but notice they take two milch kine on which there hath come no yoke and tie the kine to the cart and bring their calves home from them now when a calf goes moo you know what mom does she feels like milk comes down she has to milk her calf that's what happens they have an instinct for this so what's happening is these milk kine or these cows that have given birth and freshened, they're now going to want to feed their babies. They're gonna take the babies away and lock them up. They're gonna tie the mamas to the cart, and they're gonna say, go the opposite way. And it is a miracle of miracles if they don't turn around and say, I'm going back to my calf. I need to feed my calf. I have to empty my udders. What are we doing? But look, this is God's providence. So they go the exact way that they intend. And also they've never plowed with a yoke, which means they don't know how to walk in tandem with the other cow. Now they're under the yoke to pull together. That's a miracle that they don't go the opposite directions. So they're confirming, they might, you might say they're laying out the golden fleece or what have you. They want to find out, is this actually the divine work of God to punish us or not? Hadn't they figured that out yet? Hadn't they figured out that God was judging them? No, apparently not. Apparently they needed a sign from heaven to know that this was God's judgment. Let us not be so slow to learn. There is some horse sense in this. The priests and diviners are partially right. That is miraculous. For a mama cow to do this with her calf away from her, there's no way that's going to work unless it's from God. So the ark and the cows, the kind, the milch kind, the mamas giving suck to their calves, they go right up by the coasts to Beth Shemesh. Now Beth Shemesh was a city of the land of Judah that bordered the Philistines. En route toward Shiloh, where the ark had been before, and this city was a Levitical city it was assigned in Joshua 21:16 to the Levites they lived there it was their place and we see this the Levites take the ark off of the card and put it on the great stone so the deed now is done the diviners say that they can now figure out whether it was just chance or whether it was the hand of God that smote them How much evidence does an unbeliever need to believe? Always more, always more, always more. And they're going to attribute it to chance if the cows don't do what they say. Then we have verses 13 through 21, the joy, the sacrilege, and the slaying of the men of Beth Shemesh. They're reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, it tells us, very likely in the month of May, around the time of the Passover, and then seven weeks from there was their first fruits from their wheat harvest. We can read of this in Leviticus 23, 15 and following. That means that the ark was taken sometime around October or November, according to our reckoning. The men of Beth Shemesh saw the ark. They rejoiced to see it. Though they were unwilling to fight to recover it, they were happy that it was back. They were pleased that it was home. And then as they take the ark off, they cleave the wood of the cart and they offered the kine a burnt offering unto the Lord. It seems that the Levites did this, offered the burnt offering here. Now there may be some warrant for this. These were cows that had been providentially directed to do this miraculous thing. And they had come back together with the ark. So perhaps they have some excuse you could make for them. Well, they shouldn't have been offering a burnt offering. That's one. Where were they supposed to offer burnt offerings? Over in Shiloh at the tabernacle. And what are they doing? Kind of doing their own thing, aren't they? But notice what else? What sort of animals were they offering to the Lord? It is milk kine. It's the sort of offering that God never commanded in his law to do. In fact, you may read of this in Leviticus 1 verse 3. God says the mail is to be offered as a burnt offering. Let him offer it a male without blemish. In fact, in Malachi chapter 1 verse 21, God rebukes the people because they didn't offer their males and they didn't offer them without blemish. Here they're doing what? Offering the female. That's what the milch kind is. It is the mama giving suck. You may not offer that under God's law. And yet here they are doing it. Verses 15 through 18, we have a description of the golden jewels and the principalities of the Philistines. Then verse 19, the Lord strikes his people. It says he smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Now think about this. First, they receive it back with joy. Then they offer a burnt offering unauthorized by God. Then they use the wrong kind of animal. Then they do what? They look into the ark. Is any of this authorized by God? But you notice, they do one thing and God doesn't strike them. They do another thing and God doesn't strike them. Then they cross the line and God strikes them. Success in their first sins leads to presumption in the second sin, leads to death in the third sin. They did not learn from the lesson of the Philistines, apparently. Don't mess with God's things. Don't tamper with what is holy. Do not be sacrilegious Numbers 4, 19 and 20 says this, but thus do unto them that they may live and not die. When they approach unto the most holy things, Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them every one to his service and to his burden. But they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered, lest they die. You hear that? Those are Levites going to help the sons of Aaron take the tabernacle and all of its furniture and move it to the next place. Could they look upon the ark? Could they open the lid? Hey, I want to see that golden pot of manna. I want to see the finger of God riding on tables. Let me look in there. Death. Immediate death. God saved the life of the Kohathites by making this law so that they couldn't even look at the most holy things until covered by Aaron and his sons. Let us be cautious in our former sins. If they go unpunished, let us not think that we're in the right. Well, I sinned. God did nothing. Must be okay. Let me move on to my next sin. Well, God didn't punish that. Well, let's move on to my third sin we might reap the whirlwind. We must regulate ourselves. We must judge ourselves, Paul says. We must condemn ourselves, that's what repentance is. It starts with an acknowledgement and confession of our sins. I am guilty, that is confeso, to say what God says. Repentance is not apologizing where we defend what we've done. It's not ameliorating our conscience and making ourselves feel better about our sins. No, we must learn to confess our sins. And so they ask, almost seeming to blame God, who is able to stand before before this holy Lord God? Well, doesn't God have a rule about this ark? Doesn't he have a law about its transportation? Doesn't he have rules about covering it over rather than opening it up? Of course he does. But when we are filled with our own devices, this God seems impossible to please. Well, you're not listening. So of course it's impossible to please. You don't even know what he says. Let us see that it is us that are the problem. It's not God who's impossible to please. It's us who are sinful. God is full of compassion but he will not take his name being dragged through the mud. His worship and his commandments are important to him. And if we love him and we actually want to stand before this holy Lord God, we must come on his terms, through his son, through his trespass offering and by his appointed means. And notice, once 50,000 plus die, from this sacrilege they say what let's get rid of it sounds like the philistines right let's push it off down the road hey you carry off come here come get this thing we're we we do not want it any longer and that will bring us god willing next sabbath to chapter 7.